This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show, and we're making trades. People love trades, Shahan. And as you have pointed out, and others have, free agency has come to college football. So now you can build college football teams through the draft, which is recruiting, or through free agency, which is the transfer portal. But you still can't make trades. So we are going to make some trades. And this will tell you guys something about where we perceive certain college football playoff contenders to have holes where we perceive others to be strong. And that's where you're going, right? You're finding a team that has depth somewhere, a hole somewhere. You're matching those up and you're making deals. I've made three trades. You've made three trades. I think these actually help these real teams, Shahan. We'll never get there, but there's almost like a part of the transfer portal where like you almost could do like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like, hey, we're going to like let this guy's going to go in the portal to you, but we want this guy in the portal to come to us and we could work this out. I guess we're not there yet, but it's the last thing missing in college football trades. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, look, we're, like you said, we're never going to get to this point because, uh, I, I think that probably trading kids and taking them out of their like, calculus class in order to go and have to play at some completely other school and maybe have to take up another major probably not going to happen but i mean look we we love trades obviously uh you know everybody feels like they've got holes to fill and so it's at least a fun thought exercise and by the way even though this doesn't happen uh, you know directly right we, we don't have the jordan addison left pit and pit did not get anything back this does kind of happen with uh you know where teams that have excess lose players at those positions and others come forward we're just streamlining it now we're streamlining it we're just trying to help that's what we're trying to do all right i'm gonna start and i'm gonna start with the trade that i made for the georgia quarterback situation and and we've talked a lot about the fact that Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State all have quarterback battles right now. So I think when you start an exercise like this, you think, okay, is there a way to settle down one of those battles or solve something there? And the reports, as you read about, you know, you read Kirby Smart's quotes, you read what the reporters covering Georgia are saying, it feels like during spring football, not a ton has changed in the quarterback battle, which is Carson Beck as a fourth-year guy. He's the most experienced. Brock Vandegrift as a third-year guy who highest recruit can move around like a little more athletic, maybe. And then Gunnar Stockton, who is also another big time recruit is just a little bit younger. And Kirby smart is talking. Carson Beck just knows the offense inside and out. And that is a big deal. He knows what you're doing. And then they had a scrimmage the other day and Brock Vandegrift is out of the pocket, making some plays with his feet. And that's how that's kind of perceived. And Gunnar Stockton, it feels like it's just not, quite as much the part of that. Kirby Smart has been saying Vandegrift and Beck have basically been, you know, each taking first team reps and mostly Gunnar Stockton's running with the twos and the threes. So it's three guys there. It's really a two quarterback battle. And it doesn't feel like Shahan much has changed. There's any more certainty there, which remains probably the less naturally talented older guy, Carson Beck, and the more naturally talented younger guy, Brock Vandegrift, and they're going to take that into August. Does that feel like to you that not a ton is different than where this, the perception of the Georgia quarterback situation was in January? No, I mean, I don't think a whole lot's changed. I, I think that Look, Carson Beck, like you mentioned, has been on campus for a couple of years. It, I always like when there are sort of these natural contrasts where you have Carson Beck, the sort of old pocket passer, and then Brock Vandegrift. You've got the young five-star, and then obviously you've got Gunnar Stockton as kind of the wild card. I, I like having these contrasts, and you know maybe that does just mean that uh, the guy who 
I think most of us think is going to start, Carson Beck just ends up starting, but you never really know with these things. And also, they're bringing in a new offensive coordinator as well. So I want to solve this for Kirby Smart, but I don't think he wants it solved this way. But I'm going to I'm going to be the GM and force him to solve it this way. And so the problem, Shahan, when you go here, it's not like there's a, a ton of teams that have two experienced quarterbacks where you can just say, well, I got a, I got a sure thing here that this team would be willing to give up. So you've got to stretch a little bit. But I think here's how I think about this. I actually think if you did this, I don't know if Kirby doesn't want to. Can I make, I can make Kirby do it. Like we're the GM. Yeah. 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 We're, the coach we're has to listen that. to the GM, right? This is like in a, in, in 2k when you just like can override a trade and like, just be like, no, you're doing this. Sorry, computer. You're doing this. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to make him do this as the GM. And I think there are a couple things here. This, the Georgia schedule that we've talked about allows a quarterback to ease in a little bit, but I, I think if we drop this guy into Georgia, I think their national championship odds would increase. And so I'm going, the ultimate defensive program in the country is making a trade with the ultimate offensive program in the country. And I am trading Malachi Nelson from USC to Georgia. As the freshman quarterback at USC, who was the quarterback in waiting behind Caleb Williams, USC just hired Cliff Kingsbury, and they're like, ah, oh, he's going to get Malachi Nelson ready to take over for Caleb Williams. I'm trading Kirby Smart, a true freshman. Last time he had a true freshman in Justin Fields, he didn't know what to do. He did not really play him. Whatever he did to Justin Fields made Justin Fields think, I don't know if I want to stay here. So I'm giving him another chance at this. I'm giving him another version of Justin Fields. And Kirby, you can ease him in. Well, you know, I can't ease him in. You got to play him from day one, but the schedule will ease him in. Kirby, we're trying to get you a third straight title. We're trying to get you upside at quarterback. And I think Malachi Nelson, listen, Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton, they're big-time recruits. We're talking bigger upside here with Malachi Nelson. And in return, we're going to send USC some sure thing defensive players to help Alex Grinch be better as his job as USC's defensive coordinator. So I think, Sean, you could almost go through and just pluck any two Georgia defensive stars off this team and be like, all right, well, I don't know. They're awesome. They're probably first-team All-Americans. I'm not even sure Georgia will miss them because Georgia's defense is so good. So this might be too much, but you're getting Malachi Nelson back, right? You're, you have to give a lot. So I'm going to trade Smell Mondon at linebacker, good player last year, and I'm going to trade Bear Alexander, who is the next in line at defensive tackle for Georgia. Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, Bear Alexander is next up, but they have a bunch of other guys. They have Nazir Stackhouse still, right? They have Zion Logue. Like they have other, they'll be fine with it, even with as good as people think Bear Alexander is going to be. But you got to pry Malachi Nelson from Lincoln Riley's hands. So what we're doing is giving a five-star dynamic quarterback for Smart to work in and by November, watch out. And we are changing the face of USC's defense with two players who are ready to go right now. And then USC can go ramp up their commitment, their their recruitment of Dylan Rayola and just get him in the next quarterback cycle. And then it'll be okay that they don't have Malachi Nelson. Big time splash trade, Shahan, bang, Kirby's going to do it through gritted teeth. Lincoln Riley's going to do it through gritted teeth, but I think it's better for both of them. Wow, you're just going to steal Dylan Rayola from Matt Rule like that? You're just going to destroy the Nebraska program because Lincoln Riley feels like it? That's that's pretty mean. I mean, that's going to happen anyway. Well, at the, the <laughs> moment, right, at the moment, right, the Dylan Rayola, who's the number one quarterback in the next class, is between Nebraska, where his uncle is the offensive line coach and where his dad played, and Georgia and USC. So yeah. <laughs> Georgia's trying to get a quarterback like Malachi Nelson without having to make a trade for him. They're trying to get him in the draft, but you don't know if you're going to get him because you're going up against Lincoln Riley. So like Georgia, you you take away from strength to go get a thing that maybe you're not exactly sure if you're capable of getting it. They didn't get Arch Manning, right? They won two national titles with Stetson Bennett, but let's ramp up the, the dynamic playmaking at that position. Is this too much on either side of the ball or could this work? Well, so my question with this is, is Georgia a program that 
is excited to play a young guy, right? Like, I, I think that offensively, obviously, Malachi Nelson is just a completely different situation, completely different animal than anything that Georgia has right now. I think my question, though, does become, I mean, I the reason that I think that Carson Beck is going to be the starting quarterback at Georgia is because they have such a track record of playing the old experience guy over talent. Now, at the same time, it kind of screwed them a little bit with the whole Justin Fields situation. So maybe, maybe they'll go the other direction. I don't know. But heading into next year, I, I'm going to be very curious because I do wonder if they just lean on experience. I, I was trying to think of a Georgia quarterback trade because I think of that as an obvious thing to do. And they have such an excess of players on the defensive side of the ball. But I couldn't quite find something that felt exactly right. I, I think that this is close, right? I think that this is in the, the neighborhood because you do have a program that has excess quarterbacks, which is a crazy thing to 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 talk about that needs defensive players. And I actually do have a trade for USC that does involve some d- defensive players that maybe I'll do next. But I don't know. I, I, I think that my question would be, like for Georgia... I almost wonder if Malachi Nelson gets traded there and Carson Beck starts anyway, and then Malachi Nelson starts next year. So I do think, I mean, this is part of the evolution of if we think Kirby Smart is on a Nick Saban path, that Nick Saban won early with quarterbacks who didn't have to be super dynamic, who were not future first round picks, but you win with defense and a run game. And then Alabama evolved past that and they evolved to Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Mac Jones and Bryce Young. I think Kirby's going to have to undergo the same evolution at some point because you have a thing that works, but at some point, I don't think that's going to be enough. And and long-term, I just don't know that you can win long, long, long-term without dynamic quarterback play. So this is accelerating that a little bit. This is like Malachi Nelson is going to be where that changes. We're not going to wait through the next round of Carson Beck because the hard thing about the Carson Beck thing, right? Stetson Bennett was old and experienced, but he could also scoop. And they really talked about all that. When they went from JT Daniels to Stetson Bennett, they talked about his mobility and his ability to run. And we saw that. You saw how that impor- how important that could be. Carson Beck is not as mobile as Stetson Bennett. Brock Vandegrift is as mobile as Stetson Bennett. But Carson Beck, Carson Beck is like the old part of Stetson Bennett. Brock Vandegrift is the mobile part of Stetson Bennett. But you can't smush them together. So I I, I know what you're saying, but it, but maybe they don't have perfect quarterback right now listen they're going to pick one of them and they're going to win a whole bunch of games with whoever they pick and they're going to be fine and they might win a third straight national championship but i think at some point you're going to have to take a leap like this so i'm just accelerating the leap and but and and so you we can go to your your usc trade now getting usc defensive players when we're doing an exercise like this is that one of the first things that leaps to mind oh i mean yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I think that when you look at the contenders, the true contenders for the college football playoff, there is not a team on the board that has as gaping a hole as USC defensively. Obviously, uh, over their three losses, they gave up over 40 points per game. I, I mean, that 15-point barrage in the last four minutes against Tulane is going to stand out for a long time. And so, no, I absolutely wanted to come in and get some defensive players. And I think that uh, it's a quarterback is a good place to go. Like you said, I mean, Malachi Nelson is a, I think a good trade piece and it's Lincoln Riley. He'll find a way to replace him uh, because that's just what Lincoln Riley does. But I decided not to go with the quarterback. And I decided to make a trade with a program that uh, will soon be USC's conference mate in 2024. So, I'm taking Junior Colson from Michigan, and I'm trading him to USC for consensus top five recruit Zachariah Branch at wide receiver. And the reason that I'm doing that is because my question with Michigan remains, I don't know exactly how dynamic they can be in the passing game. I don't. I think that they have some nice pieces, but I don't know that I have. I don't. I don't know that they have a receiver that really scares me all that much. Uh, they got better last year. Zachariah Branch is a monster. 
like a, a certified monster. He's gotten comparisons to Tyreek Hill. Like that's the kind of player that he is. A super dynamic, aggressive route runner, kind of a smaller guy, but he's so explosive that it doesn't matter. And I think that he has the chance to be like, do you remember a couple years ago whenever they got Donovan Peoples-Jones and people were like, they're going to use him in so many different ways. They're going to yeah. like be able to use him as a receiver, as a returner. Well, I think that Zachariah Branch is like actually that. I think that he is actually the kind of player that maybe you can line him up in the backfield a little bit. Maybe you can throw to him out of the backfield a little bit. You'll use him as a returner. I, I just think that he adds a level of dynamic play in the in the passing game and potentially the return game that Michigan has not had under Jim Harbaugh. And obviously you're giving up one of your best defensive players to do it, but really more than the actual talent and position of the guy, obviously Junior Colson, a great player. I think that you are making a trade for somebody who's going to be a great leader to uh, somebody who I think will add a lot of cultural value to that USC defense. Cause uh, you know, look linebacker is at the most important position on defense, not necessarily, but like, I, I think that. I think that he's the sort of player who can maybe help bring things together and communicate a system and communicate a culture at a high level. And I think that USC really needs that right now. It's the next step for Michigan, right? Michigan yes. has established it's good offensive line, good run game, good defense. I think everybody's, what do you do to Michigan at this point after they make two straight college football playoffs and make it more dynamic? So you wonder is the next step of JJ McCarthy that? except probably your next trade is trading J.J. McCarthy away from Michigan. I don't know what you're going to have in store. <laughs> but, you know, they have Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson back in that receiver room at Michigan. Those are two good receivers. But it's one of those things, if you bump those two guys down a spot, and now they're your two and your three, and you're dropping a true number one receiver on top of them, it doesn't mean that Michigan's not going to be able to throw the ball with Johnson and Wilson, who have a lot of reps under him. But you're elevating. You're elevating, and I will tell you, I also have a Michigan receiver trade in my thing. But so, <laughs> so this idea, so I think this Michigan side of it makes a lot of sense. How much better, and, and we can finish up the USC side of it. Maybe all of our trades are going to be tied together here because we both had let's improve USC's defense, and we both have let's make Michigan's offense more dynamic. Is Lincoln Riley going to get here on his own at USC that? Whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whether it's maybe after a defensive coordinator change, he backed Alex Grinch after a rough year one. Alex Grinch obviously followed him from Oklahoma. Will Lincoln Riley get there? Does he have to be pushed there? Does you know? Does his AD have to say, "Listen, man, you gotta like"? Is he gonna have to have a change of heart in some way, or will there be a natural progression where the where the USC defense? Once you Lincoln Riley really has his feet under him, there is like, oh no, like USC is like a top twenty defense. It's it's not as dynamic as the offense, but it's not holding them back in any way. Or do you have questions about whether USC will actually get there? So it's a good question. I think that I know that a defense can succeed across from Lincoln Riley. That twenty seventeen team was a pretty good defense. Honestly, that twenty, I think that uh, it was the twenty. 19 team was like actually pretty good defensively it, they weren't amazing I'm not gonna sit here and say they were amazing but like they went and won Oklahoma games at certain points in the year now they did get barraged by Joe Burrow later in the year and that's kind of what people remember but I do think that you can have a defense that has some level of success the other part that I'll mention too about the 2022 USC team is that they didn't play with a lot of pace like they didn't I, I don't think that you have to defend 105 plays alongside Lincoln Riley. The bigger question to me remains the way that they kind of do recruiting, I guess. I mean, because you look at you look at their uh, their high school recruiting class, and five of the top six players who are enrolled early are offensive players. The one exception, Tackett Curtis, a linebacker from Louisiana. And then you look at the bottom of their classes, and it's two defensive linemen, right? Like those can't be the bottom of your classes. I think that that is an existential issue uh, for USC. They have to get that figured out. Now they have exceptions. Uh, I mean, Domani Jackson was the best player from California last year, a cornerback. He's coming in. Uh, he was a little bit unhealthy last year. He should be a bigger contributor. 
They got Anthony Lucas in the transfer portal, who was a borderline five star. Uh, actually, if if you look right now at the West Coast in general, west of the Rockies, USC starting to get all those kids, which I think is a huge deal. Like, I mean, it's a, like they are starting to really dominate uh, that whole deal, but. I think that that's the the next evolution for them, and maybe it's just telling Alex Grinch to get lost at some point. But I, I think that they have to recruit defensively in such a way that I think acts like a program that takes both sides of the ball seriously. And I'm still concerned in that 2023 class that they're not doing that. And when you're trying to fix a defense, I'd like the junior Colson idea as, as a tone setter, right? 100 plus tackles last year for Michigan, had 15 tackles against Purdue in the Big Ten championship game, second team all Big Ten. And you just plop him in the middle, in the middle of the defense and just kind of tell everybody, just like do what he does. So it's yeah. not an edge rusher. It's not a corner, right? But it's it's a guy who establishes, I think helps establish a defensive identity. I'm just going to make a bunch of tackles. I'm going to be in the right place all the time. Right. I'm going to be a smart football player who knows how to play defense. And by the way, like that's the Big Ten's pretty decent at that. So it's going to be interesting. This actually is part of this discussion, I think, Shahan. USC is going into a defense first conference. I've covered Big Ten football for 20 years. I've pulled my hair out waiting for Big Ten teams to get quarterbacks and receivers and to be able to throw the ball. I've never had many questions about Big Ten defenses. Because you could run through, and it, some of it, the statistical case is like, well, I mean, I don't know. The offense stinks. So, yeah, all the Big Ten. De- you, can go, you can run through statistically top ten defenses in the country. There'll be six Big Ten teams in there. And it's like, does Minnesota really have the eighth best defense in the country? It's like, no, they're just playing Big Ten West quarterbacks. But is Wisconsin actually good at defense? Yes. Is Iowa actually good at defense? Yes. Is Penn State actually good at defense? Yes. Is Michigan actually good at defense? Yes. Like you can, there are real defensive programs here. And it's going to not, it's not going to stop. Caleb Williams is like, oh, ooh, ooh, big 10 defense. Oh, no. What am I going to do? So, <laughs> you know, they're not going to stop USC, but it's going to be harder. And so, and then you can't just give it up. You can't just let mediocre Big Ten quarterbacks move the ball at will on you because your defense is no good. So there's, I think there is going to have to be an evolution of Lincoln Riley because I think the standard, man, it's weird, right? It's weird the Big 12 was such a chuck it all over the place kind of league and nobody played defense. And then by the time Lincoln Riley left, it was like a defense first league. So he did have some exposure to that, but I think the Big Ten is even the next step of that. So I do think in the end, for USC's new reality, USC has to get better on defense. I don't think it is a – because that's Ohio State's issue, right? Ohio State's issue was they were very good, but like they weren't good enough defensively. And it was getting them enough that it was preventing them from being who they wanted to be. I think USC is going to have to make the same realization. Yeah, and I, I think that, like you said, you have to make that decision in some ways. I actually think that the fact that Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day are going to be playing in the same conference is just so interesting. So, so interesting. These guys have been compared for good reason for such a long time. Obviously, they both arrived at their job in a similar way. I think that uh, certainly you were around, so maybe you could speak to it a little more, but I, I don't think that Ryan Day is the head coach at Ohio State without seeing what Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma. They, they follow a oh. similar path. Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, when he hired Ryan Day, cited that hire at Oklahoma 50 times. Yeah. And and so these guys are always going to be linked. And I think that the fact that now both of them are at true talent amassing programs uh, that are going to be part of the same conference, it's going to be interesting to, to see which one of them figures out that defensive side first. I think that obviously you like the early returns of of what Jim Knowles has given Ohio State, obviously more than what Alex Grinch has given uh, USC at this point. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, like, I still think that Lincoln Riley is a little bit better of an offensive coach. You know, so it, it's going to be interesting to see this push and pull with Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. And, and I do think that whichever one of them figures out the defense first is going to be the one that eventually succeeds. And right now, it's the team that was a field goal at midnight away from playing for a national championship. Yeah. In a game that was in the 40s. Okay. Well, when we come back, I'll make my Michigan receiver trade, and then we'll make more of them here on the College Football Survivor Show. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja back. I will say part of the impetus for my Michigan trade is I want to, I want to kind of pick this guy to win the Heisman, and I can't do it under current circumstances. So I'm trying to free Donovan Edwards who is at the moment Michigan's co-running back with Blake Corum. I just think he's, I think they're right. I think the world thinks they're both excellent running backs. It is a, a bevy of riches for Michigan at that position. And so I want to trade from strength there. So I'm going to trade Donovan Edwards. So now I'm trying to say, okay, you're Michigan. You're willing to give up Donovan Edwards because you're going to hand the ball to Blake Corum 22 times a game. And let's get more dynamic in the pass game. And where can you go? But Donovan Edwards, that demands a lot, man. That demands a lot. And is there a place where you think a guy like Donovan Edwards would elevate that program and make that program a more of a playoff contender if they were given the ball to Donovan Edwards 24 times a game? So I think maybe that's LSU. So I'm going to trade Donovan Edwards to LSU where it feels like they have a running back room. I think they have a couple injuries in there. They have some guys, but they don't have Donovan Edwards. And no, I'm going to trade no, LSU, no. I'm going to trade LSU's best receiver, Malik Neighbors, to Michigan. But you read reports from LSU spring football and it feels like there are guys coming along in the LSU receiver room. So you are, it's like, well, why would you trade your number one receiver to get a number one running back? It maybe just feels like LSU is, would be better able to replace the talent at receiver than the talent at running back and vice versa for Michigan. So let's drop Malik neighbors in as the number one receiver at Michigan. You drop everybody down a peg. You still have Blake Corm and let Donovan Edwards go run through the sec with Jaden Daniels as his quarterback and, and see what happens. So this is, Neither of these teams would want to give up these guys, but I think both guys they get in return make gigantic impacts on the offenses they're joining. What do you think of this trade? No, I, I mean, I like it a lot. I think that it really gives LSU an identity offensively. I think that in some ways, LSU's uh, identity offensively last year was not having an identity, was just kind of trying to do the best that they could. And Obviously, uh, Jaden Daniels is a is a tremendous runner in his own right, especially on the outside. I think that you put Donovan Edwards with him and, and attack the middle of that line. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think that that I think that Donovan Edwards would have a really good chance to be maybe the best running back in the SEC. I don't think that there's another player that's especially like him in the conference. I mean, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Quinshawn Judkins at Ole Miss is a great player, but he's more of an outside runner right now. I mean, I, I don't think off the top of my head that I can think of a player who can do it like Donovan Edwards in the SEC. So I think that it would be a great addition and would be a lot of fun. Kyron Lacey, a guy in the LSU receiver room that people are saying good things about with how he has looked in spring football, feels like they, they're they confidently maybe three deep in that receiver room right now. So you still have two guys you believe in. Neighbors is gone. You know, I, I just think it's the next step for Michigan. I, I do think, Shahan, if either of our Michigan trades went through, and I think I've stated on this podcast before, I'm not sure that Michigan's not the best team in the country right now. If either of our trades go through, how much more would we believe that Michigan is a true, true national title contender if maybe we believe the playoff appearance two years ago is against Georgia shows where they're a little short. They don't get a gun against TCU in this semifinal. Does it show they're a little short? Are they no longer short anywhere if they're dropping a big-time number one receiver onto this team? No, I mean, I, I think that you need to create mismatches, right? I, I think that what Michigan is doing so well right now is that they have created almost like this perfect team with no weaknesses in some ways. But the question with me isn't their weaknesses, it's it's their strengths. What are they going to do that other teams, when you get to the Georgias, when you get to the Alabamas, when you get to that level of team, what is the advantage that that George or sorry that Michigan can create, especially offensively, that those teams can't keep up with? We've seen moments where it's obviously been the running game, but other teams can run the ball too. 
I, I need them to have that really dynamic component to their game that they can trust whenever they do play the Georgias. And and obviously they've they've done it against Ohio State, but also the Alabamas, but also the USC's. And I think that that just changes the game for them, changes the dynamic a whole lot if they have that kind of dynamic receiver who can win one-on-one matchups consistently. Okay. So we're we're on the same page with that kind of idea for Michigan. So that's my second trade. And I like the idea that you said Donovan Edwards might be the best running back in the SEC. I just Donovan Edwards, look, watch what he did when Blake Corn went out last year. Unbelievable player. And 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 the possibility of that rushing attack. I mean, we've seen Georgia do it, right? Multiple backs and they keep guys fresh. And by the end of the year, by the end of the year, Michigan just might be you know, getting 20 touches each for Edwards and Corum against Ohio State and being like, okay, well, we're just going to do it like this. Stop that. And that might work too. So, okay, what's your second trade? So I'm going to go with another team that I think could really use a dynamic wide receiver. And they added the quarterback, who I think can change a whole lot for them. And that's Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. But I think that they really really need to get a little bit more dynamic at receiver and i look to ohio state i think that ohio state has obviously a bevy of riches in that room this is where it gets hard though is what what exactly who exactly do you get back and what exactly does notre dame need to send for it so i'm gonna bring out the big guns for notre dame i'm gonna trade joe alt their star (laughs) left tackle all american one of the best in the country Ohio State desperately needs some help at that tackle position. And I'm going to get back Emeka Egbuka. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr., probably not available for you. And honestly, if I'm Notre Dame, I might ask for a second player too, like maybe another freshman, and give somebody else in, in response. Because Joe Alt is really, really, really good. Like probably the best tackle in the country right now. But I, I think that... Notre Dame develops linemen at such a high level. They were playing at a really high level, I think, by the end of the year. You've got the quarterback in Sam Hartman. I I need to see those dynamic wide receivers. I mentioned a couple episodes ago, they got a couple of uh, of receiver commits from Texas, who I love. Jaden Greathouse, who actually played with Kate Klubnick at Austin Westlake, and Braden James, Braylon James, excuse me. Uh, both super dynamic players who I think Notre Dame hasn't gotten in the past. But give me a ready-made dynamic player. Give me one who's ready to contribute right now. And uh, since Marvin Harrison Jr. probably is not on the table, give me a Mecca Ibuka. I feel bad for a Mecca Ibuka in this exercise because he is the ultimate trade chip. Because he <laughs> might be, right. he might be the second best receiver in the country, but he is definitely the second best receiver on his own team. So that is how this works. And I will tell you that my last trade is also an Ohio State, a Mecca book trade. So I am exactly on the same page here with you. So let's do the Notre Dame side of this first, and then we'll really dive into the Ohio State side of this. How much, and I'm not asking you to know the Notre Dame offensive depth chart up and down, but how much do you think it damages Notre Dame to lose Joe Alt? Or they believe in their offensive line coach, Sam Hartman will handle it, right? All right, there's some pressure coming from that side. I'm good. I'm a veteran quarterback. And that the the opportunity to be this dynamic, you just cannot pass up and you give up some of your sturdy to get a little more of your splash. No, I mean, I, I think it is one of those things where the rest of that room played pretty well last year. I mean, especially by the end of the year. I think early in the year, they were kind of trying to find their sea legs. But by the end of the year, I think that Notre Dame's offensive line was playing at a really high level. And obviously, losing your best guy is never difficult. But also, bringing back your best guy is pretty ridiculous. Like, that's that's not something that usually happens. If you're looking at it from a, you know, a grading perspective, I mean, Joe Alt is like, when you look at PFF, like he is way off the charts and everybody else is just like pretty good. But I think you trust your development. I think you trust uh, your offensive line coaching staff who has been consistently great. I mean, one of the best offensive line coaching staffs, I think you could argue in the entire country at Notre Dame. And I just think that the other part of it is that 
if you add a dynamic receiver, somebody who can be a game changer, and again, you know, look, Joe Alt again might be the best tackle in the country. Maybe you get Emek Egbuka and ask for a, a, one of the star freshmen, right? I mean, Ohio State signed like four awesome freshmen. But like, if you're able to get a dynamic player who can change the geometry of the field in some ways, I, I think that that helps your offensive line more than just having an awesome player does. Because that's the issue right now. You can kind of just come at Notre Dame. They're not going to go down the field on you. I, so I think that it, it makes, I think, Sam Hartman better. It makes Audric Estime, their really good running back, better, I think, if you can stretch the field. And it makes all the rest of their receivers better as well. So it's a big loss. It is a big, big loss. Again, Joe Alt, I, I keep saying it, maybe the best tackle in the country. But I think it is worth it if you're able to to be a kind of Notre Dame team that you have not been before. Sometimes watching Ohio State, you can take being dynamic in the past game for granted because it's like, well, they just throw the ball to Chris Olave or Jackson Smith and Jigba or Garrett Wilson or Marvin Harrison Jr. or Mecca. Like whoever you throw it to is going to do something crazy with it. And it can look easy. That's the one, right? Great passing games look easy. When Justin Fields was here, he just threw 12 yard outs all day. And it was, it felt sometimes like, why don't defenses cover that? And the answer was, well, if they cover that, somebody's going to make a double move and make a 60-yard touchdown catch on you. So they'll give up the 12-yard out that Justin Fields can throw in his sleep because he has the arm strength to do it. So you can take it for granted. But sometimes, Shahan, it is the one thing holding a great program back that they do all the hard stuff well. They fight for every chunk of four yards, but they can never get anything easy. And you you give them one player who makes it easy and it changes the face of the program. And so right now, a lot like a lot of those players are consolidated, right? I mean, there's, there's two teams known for their passing games right now with what Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day are doing. But going through, I was going through being like, all right, who could I trade a Mecca Buka to? That's what part of this exercise was. There's a million teams. I was looking at, do I need to make a Clemson trade here? Because you've been talking about Clemson's receiver issues, you know, all last year and it continues this year. Okay, maybe they'll be okay. But you bring in Garrett Riley at, at offensive coordinator. You believe in Cade Klubnik and they've got the other true, another true freshman they really like at quarterback who's looking good this spring. But who are you going to throw it to? How much does Mecca Buka change that? I couldn't find the Clemson return that made me make a Clemson trade there. But I'm going through thinking, man, because Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming will be their third starting receiver, as he was a year ago. So, they, And then they also have Xavier Johnson, who's a former walk-on, who they really like, who caught a touchdown pass against Georgia. They have Jaden Ballard as a speed guy in year three. And they have some incoming freshmen who they love. Like, there's a guy named Carnell Tate, who has looked really good this spring. They have a five-star named Brandon Innes, who's not here yet, but might be able to get on the field a little bit as a true freshman. It's one of those things, and they showed it last year. This is no offense to Mecca Buka. People before last season, we thought Jackson Smith and Jigba was the best receiver in college football. He didn't play, and they were fine. <laughs> so it's like, oh, no, what would Ohio State do without a Mecca Buka? They'd be fine. They would be not quite as good, but they'd be fine. Meanwhile, a Mecca Buka would change Clemson. He would change Notre Dame. But you also think that the, the bottom line Notre Dame conversation about this is you think Marcus Freeman and the way Notre Dame is getting maybe a little more aggressive in recruiting, they might be on the way to getting their own Emeka Buka without having to make this trade, which potentially will transform and take Notre Dame maybe to the next tier in college football. I think so. I, I think so. I think it's coming. It's not here yet. It's probably not going to be here in 2023. I, I do think that... You know, we have examples of players coming into programs and kind of creating a moment in time, right? Like, I think that you could say, for example, when Alabama decided to play Jalen Hurts, that was like a moment in time. That was a shift when Ohio State decided to play Dwayne Haskins because they brought in Ryan Day. That kind of changed everything for that program. I think there's the potential that Sam Hartman is that player at Notre Dame. Because he is incredible. I, I mean, in incredible. 
I think that he is as good a deep ball thrower as we have. I, I think that he manages the pocket better than anybody. And by the way, if if Notre Dame's offensive line is not as good as it was before because you trade Joe Alt, uh, <laughs> Sam Hartman has been playing behind Wake Forest offensive line for four years. Yeah, I think yeah. he's going to be okay. He's going to be all right. He's going to figure it out just fine. So I, I think that I think that he has a chance to to be a dynamic player for them. I mean, again, I, I'm really excited about Braylon James and Jaden Greyhouse. I, I think that both of these guys could be like top end, like, you know, second, third round NFL draft picks by the time that this comes through. And Notre Dame has had the big guys before. They've had like the big receivers come through. They haven't had the speedsters. They haven't had those speedy guys. And I think that that's sort of the last part of this is having that kind of player and having a quarterback who can get them the ball. Because really for the last 10 years, Notre Dame has played offense within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. And the second that that becomes 25 yards, the second that that becomes 35 yards, again, it changes the whole geometry of how they play football. Marcus Freeman brought back Harry. He stand as the offensive line coach when he became the head coach. He retired after a year and they brought in Joe Rudolph, who was doing things at Wisconsin for a decade plus. I mean, that guy knows how to be an offensive line coach. So again, this is this is an area where I do think Notre Dame has belief, right? Would say, hey, we have the ability to develop guys here. And as much as we love Joe Alt, we're taking a next step with somewhere else. So let's take our last break. And when we come back, what would Joe Alt or my trade do for Ohio State? Next on the College Football Survivor Show. All right, so I'll I'll lump my trade in here because, again, just thinking baseline, what do you do? It's like, okay, you're going to trade out of the Ohio State receiver room, and you're going to bring in offensive tackles for Ohio State because I do think there's a chance that the offensive tackle situation at Ohio State is iffy enough to hold them back this year. They have three fairly inexperienced guys as the presumed – Guys in the fight, Josh Fryer is the presumed left tackle. He did play a little bit last year. He was kind of like their sixth offensive lineman last year, fourth-year guy. Not a huge recruit. Not the kind of typical guy that you would have Ohio State saying he's sort of like the default left tackle. It's not his fault. It's recruiting gaps. And then at right tackle, they have third-year Zen Mahalski and second-year Tegra Shibola. Shibola is a top-150 national recruit. Mahalski is a lower-rated guy. And again, it's just asking a little bit more than expected of guys with those profiles, especially when you are losing Paris Johnson at left tackle, who's going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft, and Dewan Jones at right tackle, who might be a first rounder in the NFL draft. And that's a huge drop off. So I think like to me, top of my list was Ohio State is a national championship contender. They have a fairly glaring, at the very least, question mark right now and you've got to get him a tackle, when you're sending, and I'll give you my trade in a second, when you're sending Joe Walt to Notre Dame, does this feel like maybe a capstone to like, all right, because if you give them a sure thing, all-American level left tackle, and then you can have all three of the guys I mentioned fighting for the right tackle spot and assume that somebody's going to work itself out. The issue for Ohio State is they have pretty much uncertainty at both tackle spots. And that's unusual for them. They've been in positions before where they've kind of reached for a fifth-year, one-year starter at, a, at one tackle, and they've been fine there. But, man, Joe Alt makes everything easier in Columbus. Oh, so much easier. I, I mean, I think that he is, again, he is potentially going to be a first-round pick next year. I, I think he would have been eligible to leave after this year, right, and and decided to come back and play another year of college football, which probably would make him very unhappy to be traded from Notre Dame after deciding to come back. But, I mean, he is he is the real deal. He is a first-team All-American. He is uh, a, a total – I think you just slot him into that position and know that he's going to be able to handle himself. One thing that we kind of talked about a little on the transfer show is – Sometimes you need to be a little wary about assuming that players you're bringing in are sure things because you just don't know how it's going to translate. Joe Alt does not have that concern. Joe Alt is a sure thing at left tackle. And look, I mean, obviously Ohio State had some of the best offensive line play in the entire country last year. I think it's fair to say that you can make the case that Joe Alt would actually improve 
Ohio State's left tackle play from last year. And that is saying something because Paris Johnson might be the number nine overall pick in the NFL draft. You'll take him on your Bears, right? You'll take Paris on your Bears. Yeah, let's go. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, My smart brain says, heck yeah, you know, uh, Paris Johnson, heck yeah, you know, uh, Peter Skoronsky. And my dumb brain is like, but what if we drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba? That would be a lot of fun. We don't really need a wide receiver in the first round right now. We need a tackle. But imagine it would be a lot of fun. I would envision at the draft, if both Smith and Jigba and Johnson are on the board when the Bears pick at nine, I would like to make like a bachelor bachelorette kind of thing where they're sitting (laughs) at their draft table together holding hands and everybody knows, you know, one of them's kind of the more attractive guy. Right. He's but is he as reliable? And the other guy is like sort of the more reliable guy. And and the Bears are the bachelorette having to pick. And which way are you going to lean? And they're both good picks, but it says something about you as the bachelorette. They're both fine options. But we learn about you when you make the selection. Is it Jackson? Is it Paris? The rose will be handed out next. So I, and I think that that might Ryan Poles might be sitting there. And you got to ask yourself, Ryan Poles, what kind of bachelorette are you? Okay, so here's my trade. So I'm trying to bring some dynamic offensive play to another team that we think is on the cusp. Not quite at the Notre Dame level, but they're trying to make a tear jump. So I'm trading Emeka Abuka, Washington native, to Oregon State. And I am giving DJ Uyunglele a big-time target. And if you look at the two returning starting tackles for Oregon State. Last year in the Pac-12, uh, bear with me, I apologize if I don't get this pronunciation exactly right. You probably will. Taliesa Fuaga. I think you got tackle, it. I think you got it. I think I, I really worked on it. He was the third-ranked tackle in the Pac-12 last year by PFF grade, and Joshua Gray is the fifth-ranked tackle in the Pac-12 by PFF grade, and they are both back. They are in the running for the best tackle combo in the country. And so I'm willing to... Now, I I don't think Ohio State can ask for both because they, bang, solve both tackle (laughs) issues. Like, here's one receiver, give us two tackles. We're not going to do that. We're going to take one of them. So it's Fuaga or it's Gray. Send one of them to Ohio State to settle that down. And then... I do think that it, it it feels like Oregon State with uh, Jim Malalchek as their offensive line coach. They love that guy, right? They believe in that guy. They have a couple decent young tackles, I think, on their second team right now. You're just going to have to hurry up their development a little bit. And you're going to have, I don't know, when's the last time Oregon State had a receiver like a Mecca Buka? And you're sending him back to the Pacific Northwest. Like, I, this is just Chad the Johnson kind of leap. Oh, Sorry, you knew it right there. Chad Johnson, the best <laughs> That's receiver 20 years, though. That's 20 in Oregon years. State since Chad Johnson. So I think, again, I don't know, maybe Oregon State throws in a little bit. But you're getting the, – the idea is Ohio State getting a sure thing starting tackle and being willing to give up a receiver. And that receiver, Emeka Ibuka, going to a program where he changes that program. And with all the excitement around – Oregon State, with all the things that we've talked about with DJ Uyungle as a transfer and Adrian Childs as a quarterback recruit, and it feels like they are getting stuff together there, and they are, Jonathan Smith is building something, but boom, you drop in a guy like this, and it just accelerates stuff, and it maybe creates belief, and it shows people, you know, maybe Oregon State can do things in a way that you didn't even know they could do that. Yeah, no, they can do it, man. So I was trying to find it, and then when I, you know, you realize how good Oregon State is at both tackle spots. I thought, okay, they can spare one, and let's maybe see what the Beavers can be with a guy like a Mecca. What do you think? No, I mean, it, it is so funny, right? I I feel like I think this every year in the recruiting process, but it's so funny, the idea that there are these players that could just be the greatest thing to ever happen to a program, ever, that are just like afterthoughts I remember a couple of years ago there was a there was a receiver from San Antonio named Tommy Bush who was picking between Baylor and Georgia and he would have been the best player in Baylor's class but instead he committed to be the 13th best player in Georgia's class and it's just it, it's just crazy it's just crazy right like that's just such a I don't even know I don't even know that that's just so 
wild that a team like Georgia and a team like Ohio State just stacks these guys like this. Because you're right. I mean, Emeka Buka would be one of the best players to play at Oregon State in 20 years. And Oregon State has been pretty good lately. So, no, I, I think that it helps you settle down that quarterback position with uh, DJ coming in, gives him a real target. I, I think that their, that Clemson's lack of real targets played a huge role in his struggles the past two years. I, I think that Jonathan Smith is one of the more underrated offensive minds in college football, too. He's going to find some creative ways to use a Mecca And, you know, look, I, I think that the one thing is certainly – you don't necessarily know for sure that Oregon State has the ability to replace one of these tackles, but I, I think that you make that trade-off for, again, the chance to be incredibly dynamic. They've got uh, an awesome young running back in Damian Martinez, who I think is going to be just fine, even if the offensive line is a little bit worse. Why not? You know, I, I think that Oregon State is one of the more interesting teams in the country. I, I hope, really, I hope that Oregon State makes our uh, our, our top twelve to talk about because they're going to be a lot of fun to talk about this year. No, I think I think they will be too. And it just, what if the D, what if DJ is a perfect fit? Like it is right. just the thing that everybody's been waiting for. It's just funny what you're talking about. Class of 2020, best player in the state of Washington. G. Scott Jr. went to Ohio State. Class of 2021, the state of Washington had two of the 10 best players in the country. <laughs> JT Tuimolowau and Emeka Ibuka, and they both went to Ohio State. And, like, <laughs> you know, Jimmy Lake is like, what are you doing? How can I, like, you know, or anybody hey, else going to fix it. He's going to fix know? it. <laughs> so it, it is. It's one of those things. And Ohio State is just the example for me. Ohio State is all about. Urban really, Urban Meyer really landed into this, like, make the great state of Ohio proud. Like, stay home and play for your school. And then they go to every other state, like, ah, the heck with your home state. Make the great state of Washington proud. Come play in Ohio. Like, the idea, (laughs) it's what everybody does constantly. You have to sell the hometown guys on staying home, and you have to get everybody else to say, ah, sorry, hometown team, come (laughs) here. So if Kalen DeBoer can get a little bit of that, right? Imagine what a Mecca Booker would have done for Washington. Imagine what JT two more than I would have done for Washington. So now we're rectifying that a little bit, sending them to Oregon State. So this leads us to, but I, in the end, this Ohio State offensive tackle thing is something to watch because Ryan Day this week said nobody's won the right tackle spot and nobody's won the left tackle spot either. And they're just a lot of times when there's uncertainty at a place like Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama, it's like, okay, well, which top 50 national recruit are you going to pick? It's fine. And that's just not quite what it is at Ohio State at those two positions right now. So keep that in mind as we think about position battles. A lot of spring games this Saturday, by the way. Georgia, Ohio State, like a bunch of them. We're going to get into more specifically some things that we saw in spring games in a couple of the weeks ahead. Um, But, you know, final chance to take a look at these things. So what's your last trade here, Sean? So before, before I mention my last trade, I could not for the life of me figure out an Alabama trade that made sense because I don't feel like they have like a single obvious hole. There's just questions everywhere right now. They lost so much to the draft this past year. Obviously Bryce Young has covered up so many of their issues for the past couple of years. And, and don't get me wrong. I know we're going to be looking up at the end of the year and Alabama is going to be the number two team in the country. I, I know that that's going to happen, but it's not like you can just slot in a quarterback and everything's fixed. I think that they have holes Really, at every level on both sides of the ball, you could make the argument. So, oh man, it's going to be an interesting offseason, I think, for Kevin Steele coming in at defensive coordinator, and obviously for uh, for for Tommy Reese coming in as the new offensive coordinator because they they kind of have to restructure, I, I think, a lot of what they do. So, it was surprising to me that I could not come up with an Alabama trade because they seem like a team that so obviously needs some help but i don't have an obvious guy to send out i feel like at at alabama mm. cuz they kind of need all the players that they got no i looked at it too because again in the same way i i looked at alabama first and again just like we understand there are quarterback battles happening and you you let them work out and and ty simpson versus jalen milrow you got to let it work out a little bit but i went when i went when i was looking for a, a quarterback for georgia i did the same thing at alabama but i didn't feel as good about grabbing two guys like Bear Alexander and Smell Mondon out of Bama like I did at Georgia. Georgia's like, they're fine. They'll, like, they'll, <laughs> they'll fill in, right? There's some five-star linebacker, five-star defensive tackle ready to slide in. 
it just did sort of feel like Bama right now, and maybe we'll feel differently in August, did not have the same kind of sure thing depth that would allow you to pluck some dudes. But then, like you said, again, like, we just don't know as much about Bama right now, except they have Nick Saban, and he'll probably figure it out. And that helps. I, I've heard that having Nick Saban has been pretty helpful uh, whenever it comes to this stuff. So I'm going to go with a little bit of a weird one. I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> with a team that probably will not be in the playoff hunt. But I think that they could make some last-ditch sort of moves to try to figure it out. Okay. I'm going to go with Texas A&M. I think and they're trading that, their entire recruiting class for somebody trading 30 players. Well, they've actually already done that. They've lost 27 players to the transfer portal this off season. That's not a joke. 27 players after losing an all sec freshman team lineman on Wednesday. But I think that Texas A&M desperately needs something that they can rely on offensively. Just like they need a plan offensively. If you look back at some of the better Jimbo Fisher offenses, which maybe just a Jimbo Fisher offense is not a good thing these days, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, he loves a tight end. He loves having a tight end that he can rely on. That That's sort of integral to what they do. And I think that there is one tight end. I'm not not Brock Bowers. Okay. In the non Brock Bowers, say, now, we're talking about <laughs> yeah. Kirby is like saying, "Fire me before what does you make this trade." Texas A and M have to give <laughs> Georgia <laughs> to help them out. They've got they've got nothing to, to help Maybe that like team out. Forty million dollars in NIL money or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't know if you checked out my story over at CBS Sports. Georgia spends more on recruiting by. A huge margin than every other team in college football. Over the last five years, Georgia has spent five more million dollars than any other program in college football. So, now, don't get me wrong. All, we, we, all they got out of it was two national championships. Way to go, Georgia. <laughs> Way to go, Georgia. Uh, hopefully, that's working out okay for you. <laughs> but So, I'm not going to go with Brock Bowers, but I am going to go with who I think could be the number two tight end in the entire country. And that's Brent Keithy from Utah. And when I look at Texas A&M, I mentioned it the other day. They have a position that I think that they over-recruit because their coaching staff is so good in this one particular thing. And that's on the defensive line. They have an insane amount of really, really, really good defensive linemen. And so I think that uh, I, I think that if you look at what they've got right now, I would take... Brant Keithy from Utah, put him on Texas A&M, and I would trade Walter Nolan, the number two overall player in the class of 2022, who was rated higher than Miles Garrett, by the way, which is a crazy thing, and I'd send him to Utah. Maybe you need to throw in a second guy from Texas A&M's defensive line, and they absolutely can afford it, because they have, oh my gosh, I'm looking at their roster right now, they have like 15 defensive linemen, it's insane. They have so many defensive linemen, and all of them are like, five stars or high four stars. So maybe you throw in, you know, an N.I. White, somebody who didn't play a whole lot for them last year who maybe can step up as an edge rusher. Maybe you throw in a, uh, a, a you know, somebody like a Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, another five-star prospect who hasn't necessarily played a whole lot for them. Point is, I think you send them Walter Nolan. I think you send them a defensive lineman to be named later. And, uh, and you let Utah really build up their defensive line with the kind of recruit who doesn't usually go to Utah. Now they have players who have come through Utah. I mean, they, they develop at a high level. Now imagine that coaching staff and imagine Morgan Scally and Kyle Whittingham and all of them working with two of the 10 best defensive line recruits in the country. I think that that would just be absolutely unbelievable for them. So part of this idea, right, is a program like Utah taking something that they have shown they are able to do, which is develop tight ends, and give them something that maybe they're not able to do, which is recruit five-star defensive linemen, right? Because you look at, for instance, Brant Keithy, he gets hurt last year, and that helps a, a little bit pave the way for the emergence of Dalton Kincaid, who is probably, I mean, he's either like the first or second best tight end in this NFL draft class with Michael Mayer of Notre Dame. But you look at the opener last year when Utah lost to Florida, 
Brant Keithy had nine catches for 105 yards and a touchdown in that game. Dalton Kincaid had two catches for 29 yards. So there's a little bit almost of like a Jalen Waddle gets hurt, Devontae Smith emerges and wins the Heisman. But by the way, Jalen Waddle's still really good. Brant Keithy gets hurt, Dalton Kincaid emerges and becomes one of the best tight ends in college football. He was already very good. But Brant Keithy, like this is a like game-changing dude. This is a program-changing dude for Texas A&M that you've always questioned Texas A&M's ability to throw the ball, right? So you throw this guy into that mix and you're given just some great defensive talent to Utah. I like this. Shahan Jimbo, I think, likes this, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, I think so. And the other part of this, too, is that I think you just have to trust Utah's development at tight end behind Keithy. Because remember, Keithy was not supposed to be back. Keithy suffered an injury early in the year. So now he's back, I think, for his sixth season overall. Yep. So they, they've been planning for life without him. I'm not especially concerned about whether they're going to be able to fill that hole. And when you get somebody uh, like Walter Nolan, the kind of recruit that Utah's never really seen before, I I think that that is a trade-off that they would be willing to make. And I I think that obviously those guys, uh, you know, Nolan and, and a player to be named later would help the team now. But I also think that when you're looking in a year or two, I, I mean, with their development, I think that they could potentially be some of the best, uh, some of the best defensive linemen in the entire country. All right, that will wrap it up for our little trade segment here in the College Football Survivor Show. We have Georgia to USC, USC to Michigan, Michigan to uh, LSU, Notre Dame to Ohio State, Ohio State to Oregon State, and Texas A&M to Utah. Those are the deals that we're making. Make sure you're reading Shahan J. Haraja at CBSSports.com. For now, for Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 